Hey, it's Zach. This week on At The 55, we wrap up the OUA semifinals. We take a look at the OUA all-rookie team. And Dakota and I, much like the Mustangs and Marauders, book our tickets to London for the Yates Cup. All that and more. Let's jump into the action. This is Justice Allen, running back number four for McMaster. It's Eric Starzella, starting left tackle for the Guelph Griffins. Dylan Giffen, left tackle for the Western Mustangs. And you're listening to At The 55. At The 55. At The 55. Stay tuned, best OUA podcast. Okay, let's get things started with our Who's Back of the Week. I'll start us off my who's back. I'm going with the McMaster Marauders in the Yates Cup. This one is a very near and dear one to my heart because the last time the Marauders were in a Yates Cup, they were walking off the field of Ron Joyce Stadium victorious over a Guelph Griffin team that I was playing on. So while the memories of that game are very sad and and very somber in my books, I still, like I said, have the personal connection with it. Uh, I've been a big fan of this Marauder team all year long. And uh, even though their route to the eights involved running over my Guelph Griffins twice, once in regular season and once in the playoffs that we'll jump into in just a few moments, Big fan of what this team is doing, and I think this matchup with Western, rematch from the 2011 Yates Cup, which McMaster was able to pull up the... talk about it. <laughs> we might have to talk about it. We might have to, Dakota. Um, but anyhow, so my who's back, McMaster in the Yates Cup. Dakota, who do you have? It's me. I'm who's back. Yeah. What up? I got to return home to my home away from home. That is London, the Dirty Dawn. Um... Excited to be back. Sure, I was there three days ago, but now I'm back for the Yates. I got to wear all my purple and black, get to support the Mustangs. So I am my who's back of the week. Well, sticking with the, what'd you call them, the Dirty Dawn? Yeah, the Dirty Dawn, London. I never heard of that one. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one that ever calls it the Dirty Dawn. Well, I love it. Well, let's stick with the Dirty Dawn, with the game that took place there, and let's jump into the action from the Waterloo Western game. Final score in this game, the Western Mustangs 30, the Waterloo Warriors 24. Dakota, when we were setting up this game, it seemed like we were expecting a very similar rematch to what we had between these two teams in in week seven. I believe it was when we had the big shootout game, the last second field goal, that ultimately the formula in going into this in terms of possible outcomes stayed roughly the same, that we were going to either see most likely, we're either going to see Western win just big, run them out of the stadium. We might see Western win close, but both teams are scoring points, like which is what happened in the first game. Or we see Waterloo win the game, but it's going to be a, a high-scoring affair, kind of like the first game, but just a few different bounces here and there leading to the Warriors' victory. From what we saw in this one, I we got a, we got a defensive battle. And, you, you know, the... The Mustangs did do a lot of good stuff uh, offensively, no doubt. Running the ball, they had a phenomenal day. I, you know, Merchant, I never felt more confident in my pick with him as MVP. But I definitely didn't think a 30-24 outcome would be what we would get from these two teams. No, definitely not. It was like the the Waterloo Western game had a. There's definitely like the Waterloo Western game had a kid with the Guelph Western game <laughs> in the in the sense where you know it was a very close battle. Um, but just pointing out something that we talked about last week where I said Western is the more well-rounded team, the more full-balanced team, and it kind of showed with the way that they performed 
obviously I feel like the defense were very evenly matched. The offenses were very evenly matched. Um, but when it came down to the nitty gritty, the special teams was really what won Western that game. Um, you know, there were big plays like Kojo Doom, which by the way, best name in the OUA, I'll say it every time I have a chance. Um, but it relied on the, the leg of Mark Leggio there, going five for six, really winning them the game, not on a last second kick or anything like that, but those early on points in the first quarter, second quarter is kind of what gave Western that, I don't want to say fighting chance because they weren't out of it, but they didn't score a touchdown for quite some time. Yeah, no, oh, I'm, and like in so many games this year where, as we've talked about, they've, they've been in games and... I don't know if it's something we've touched on, but maybe having some closer games makes them even more war ready come playoff time. When you know you, you you've been in a game where you you snuck out of Guelph with a six point win, where you're held to not not no uh, no touchdowns. You, you took out Waterloo at home earlier in the year, uh, a shootout game, so a little bit more on edge. But obviously, having a veteran like Legio in those situations, uh, and, and on the flip side, when we get to it in the MAC game, obviously it didn't affect them in the long run but a guy like Prio Cannon who who really w- w- was ineffective and but for Legio yeah I, I totally agree with what you're saying there yeah and I think the best thing about Western and not to speak on any biases or anything is that they find ways to win outside of just the norm where you look at Waterloo and it's okay they're gonna win because of Trey Ford um, you look at Ottawa GGs, okay, they're going to win because their defense is going to score points. You look at Carlton, they're going to win because, you know, their defense is going to shut people out. Western is, Merchant can go up and throw 350. Yeah. Uh, Trey Humes could run for 150. The defense could completely shut someone down. Or in the, the same thing with when they played Guelph early in the season, defense is going to hold them, and we're just going to trust Mark Leggio to, to kick the ball. They, they find different ways to win games, and they have... A, a larger variety of ways to win games compared to other teams I find in this league. I totally agree. And, and one of the ways that we've definitely now seen on a few different occasions, the Guelph one being the big, biggest example, and I think this one being second to that, is when the defense really, really steps up for them. And we kind of mentioned that in that first matchup with Waterloo, they were fairly banged up on the defensive end. And you already mentioned the output of Odoom. Yeah, hundred percent. I've always been a big fan of Bleska Kambamba. That's probably my pick. But like, you got both of them on the, the that Mustangs defense. So like, it's a win win. Yeah, that's that's pretty nice. But you know what I really liked from Western defensively was not only were they able to get after Trey Ford picking up, uh, forget how many sacks it was on the day. Uh, looks like oh, oh maybe only two, but they were definitely pressuring him uh, quite a few times. But it, they they seem to limit him to to big explosive plays. And from the last two years, we're really used to at least a handful of plays from Ford, whether it's to Ternowski or Lamb or making it happen on his feet. And he did have a, a few good scrambles where, you know, it's just that one just punch in the gut play where it's a 50 plus yard touchdown, however they're getting it. Or Pellerin, who, of course, unfortunately had to leave the game due to injury. This is an offense that will beat you and will beat with those explosive plays. So I say all that in, in making the point that for Western, you know they did. You know ultimately, Ford ends up 226 yards, three TDs, two interceptions, and you know he gets an additional 72 on the ground. You will take that. It's a solid game. You get... but, but as a defense, you will take. Like, oh, as, as a trade. defense as well. Yeah. yeah. No, as 100. percent And you know, you know, we've seen a few teams that have been able to slow him down, but I just really don't remember a team that was almost able to put a cap on him the way that Western did in this game. No, I. I... 
I think that, you know, they watched film. Obviously, the defense got healed up from the last time they, they played off. There's still, you know, injured, injured safety, injured linebacker there, but they have the film on you. You said it before where it's it's always hard to come out and beat a team twice in one season. Yeah. Western just showing kind of what Western does, and I hate using the word powerhouse. We're always use the word powerhouse, but they, they're they a great team when it comes to breaking down film and seeing exactly where teams' weaknesses are. Obviously, you know, you can say maybe if Dion's healthy, it's a little bit of a different game, but football's a game of ifs. Again, though, you look, look at the stat line for Trey Ford, it's still an amazing game. You know, three touchdowns is still solid. Yeah, two interceptions, it happens, but it is an off game for Trey Ford, and I think it's just Western really showing that not only talent-wise are they one of the best, but intelligent-wise, I think, knowing who they're facing, knowing the weaknesses of each team, it just goes to show why they remain at the top of the OUA for so many years. Definitely. And and leaning into the offensive side of things for Western, you know, one guy who you know, stood out all game long, even though the boxer doesn't necessarily jump off the page, is, you know, your boy Brett Ellerman, who, you know, I, every Western game I've been watching now, I have a, a keen eye for when he's getting the ball because just, you know, how much he's spoken his praises and finishing four receptions in 86 yards, but some really incredible catches in traffic, putting his body on the line, laying out. So 100% expecting to see, uh, much like you uh, predicted in, in I think our first episode, seeing him as an OUA All Star because he has been nothing but exceptional all year long. And like I said, the stat uh, of this game, stats of this game don't necessarily jump off the page, but in a game where the passing attack on both sides of the ball and this kind of is kind of, uh, we saw us in both games where the passing was somewhat limited, whether perhaps having a bit to do with that, but having a, a great game even even with that being uh the case in, in this game yeah he's like six six i mean he's 50 <laughs> 50 he's not actually six six guys but he's, he's a solid six three six four and so 50 50 balls should you know always kind of go to him but no he's an amazing talent but the ability that you know chris merchant has to spread the ball to so many veteran receivers if you it's unfortunate we don't know what western's gonna look like next year in two years because Quarterbacks are going to be gone. Receivers are going to be gone. Cole Majeros, who I think is in his sixth year, he's done all his years of eligibility. He's he's definitely gone. Um, they're losing a lot of great talent. So I think, I don't want to say, you know, it's their final final chance to get one because, you know, they got a Yates last year and they got a Vanny the year before. But it's it's kind of the final year for, for this team. And just that veteran presence really comes into play later on in these playoffs, especially in the Yates, because there's got a lot of young guys or not necessarily young guys on Mac who they're going to go to play, but guys who haven't been in this situation. And it is a different situation. I'm sure you can speak on it more. I'm more of a practice squad when it comes to the Yates, but you, you've been able to play, but it's it's a different situation. It's a different kind of environment. It's not You want, you want to say it's still just another game, but it's not. Yeah, and I think that this is probably a very underrated component, at least for casual fans of OUA football, that having that home game for the Yates is so paramount. Especially when you contrast it, and you can speak to this very well, having just been there this past weekend, being in Ron Joyce for a playoff game, it's a good environment. It's it's a, an amazing environment, and so obviously Western took the matchup against Mac as uh, earlier in the year. So talking about having that advantage, being at home, is going to be huge for them. Um, for Waterloo, much like we did with some of the other teams, a couple of their 
veteran players, just to name off a few of the guys that we might not see from them moving forward. Uh, kicker, punter, Jonah Zlatinski. We saw him transfer from, I believe, Carlton this year. Fifth-year guy. He's been really strong all year for them at the position. Uh, the the brothers, Beaumier, uh, both at fullback and offensive line. Boys, both. <laughs> both in their both in their fifth years, uh, you know another candidate for a top name in the OUA, Lau Fresha, the defensive back for uh, Waterloo, listed in his fifth year as well. Uh, who else do they have here? A couple of the fourth year guys. You know, w- one thing that does have me excited is that a lot. You know, we already mentioned losing the the Beaumier brothers, but on their offensive line in terms of fourth year talent, Jake Nesbitt, Troy and Grant Curtis, Greg Brand, all in their fourth year. So this could be a very veteran, I mean it already is a really veteran offensive line coming back. Um also you got Curtis Gray, Devin Hinsberger in their fourth years, Michael Reed, uh Dion Pellerin, Turnowski, who we've talked about a lot this year with his of course being his draft year. Brandon Metz, who we saw step up really big in this game when Pellerin went down. So just a few of the names to to mention a few not uh, to go through all of them because they actually do have quite a few veteran players. So it'll, it'll obviously be interesting to follow this team along in the offseason. Obviously for defensively, getting Jake Hinsberger back, uh, Devin's brother who got hurt right before the season started out linebacker, the rookie of the year from last year. That was a huge blow for them defensively. And we definitely saw that much like last year, defense was a bit of a weak spot, though it did get a lot better late in the game, late in the season. And, you know, despite the production Western put up on the ground, I would ultimately say this game was wasn't really an exception to that because they were really getting after the quarterback. So that'll put the 2019 Waterloo Warriors to bed. They got past the first round of the playoffs, which was great to see. Another step in a positive direction. They still have Trey at the helm. So we'll see how this team grows moving forward. For the Western Mustangs, they don't have to go very far. In fact, they're not going anywhere at all. We should be used to that by now. I know <laughs> I definitely am. And they will be taking on the McMaster Marauders, who took out my Guelph Griffins in the other semifinal game. Let's jump into that now. Final score in this game, the McMaster Marauders 19, the Guelph Griffins 9. This game was in Ron Joyce Stadium. I unfortunately was not able to attend, but Dakota, you were there live and direct representing the 55 brand. Why don't you start us off, tell us about the experience being down there, seeing this game in person. Well, I want my do-better to be the weather, but it's not going to be. <laughs> um it was great. It was a great day for football. I'm more so in the in the third quarter, fourth quarter, not only score wise and play wise, but the rain cleared up. Knowing that I had to watch two football games that day, I just didn't want to freeze. Wait, uh, you were able to get to the, the other semifinal game as well? No, CJFL game. Oh, right, because they were at the same time, so you wouldn't have been able to do that. Anyways, yeah, I digress. Just, you know, it doesn't make sense. But you know, that's one of our continuing do betters. Odds that wh- which comes first? Time travel that allows you to watch both games or that they actually just put them at different times so you could watch both games? Or third one, UFT faculty caring about their football team. Oh, shoot. You know what? I didn't take enough math in school to be able to answer this one. Yeah, and I don't plan on living long enough for either three of those things to happen. So let's continue with the breakdown. <laughs> um, no, I, I thought it was a great game. Obviously, kind of how we predicted it, defensive battle to yeah. start. Um, Mac obviously coming out on top. Which, again, at least for myself and you as well, um, predicting that, seeing as that Duick can kind of lead an offense a little bit better than Theo Landers can. Uh, my big thing was the injuries, and I don't know if it was the weather. I find that cold-ish weather, you know, that in-between weather so players aren't wearing hoodies and all that stuff. Mm. Um, and also just rain, for some reason, brings a lot of injuries out. 
Guelph's O-line going into this game had a lot of injuries. Um, Starcello playing center where he doesn't necessarily start. He's usually at left tackle. Um, and then a big one that popped out for me was A.J. Allen. Yeah. You know, we... We virtually met him a couple weeks ago when he was telling us about his stats being stolen from there. Talked to him quite frequently. It was the first drive, I believe, he got a helmet to the ankle or the shin, and that kind of sidelined him for the rest of the game. He was in his uniform, kind of jumping around, looked good, but every time he go to walk, he would limp and anything like that. And obviously, you don't want to say, okay, one player makes the difference, but with a talent like A.J. Allen, who's going into his draft year and who knows what could happen where he plays outside linebacker, can also play that DN position, really brings a lot of versatility to that Guelph's front seven. With him out, they got to throw in sort of a permanent D lineman there because no one has that ability to jump back and forth. And Mac ran a lot of RPOs and with that D line position being there and maybe a little rusty coming out. Who knows who's really filling in? They just took advantage of that. Yeah. No, 100%. And we've talked about AJ a good bit and and to the point you made, how he really is the key to that defense, not necessarily in that he's going to be the star of the show statistically. Well, that obviously sometimes is a product because those numbers get stolen from him. <laughs> but in as you mentioned, just because he gives them so much versatility on the defensive end, and this is a, a Guelph defense that all year long just flies around the ball like a pack of wild animals and so not having that ability really limits you but as you mentioned and as anyone who's been following anything about the OUA this year should have expected we got unlike the other game what we did expect in a defensive battle as you said and you know both sides of the ball playing just such uh, ferocious defense but it almost felt like with Mac and obviously that offensive line being banged up as you alluded to, we also saw late in the game Spencer Swan, uh, who's been playing some guard for them, veteran lineman out of Guelph. He went down a little bit. So definitely with that bit of a depleted a depleted offensive line, you have Guelph down, so you know they're probably going to have to pass, which already is a bit of a weak spot for them in terms of the offense. They're a team that definitely would like to be up, able to run out the clock, just beat you down defensively. But with that advantage, knowing that Guelph's going to have to pass, the O-line is banged up, Mac was sending pressure all game long, and especially, as you mentioned, in that second half. And I tip my cap to that whole defense, but Nate Edwards was going off only you know listed for eight solos and a sack as well but as great as that is on its own it I, I still feel like it doesn't really encapsulate the impact he had on the field forcing Theo to make bad decisions or to make decisions quicker than he probably wanted to as well you know Nolan Putt a guy that we obviously have seen ball out all throughout the year having a great game as well but much like the you know this this team and I think this is why I like this Mac team so well is that much like their offense, when this defense is at its best, there isn't necessarily one person or just one specific group that you point to and say, yeah, they won it for them. It's a collective. It is like truly it's it, it's a I think what I like about it is it's a great when they win. It's a usually a great team victory. And I think we saw another example of that. Obviously, as you mentioned, much like most of the teams that were the other three teams, the offense was somewhat limited, but it was still a Mac attack. You know, you have Allen putting up 93 yards, Duick scrambling for 89. Of course, a big chunk of that being on the, the one, you know, big 55-yard run. You know, by the way, Andreas, thanks for the, like, help on the marketing there with the 55-yard run. Really appreciate that. But then spreading it out in the passing attack, Tommy Neal, middlemost, Bazo, Reason, 
Tuchinsky, Allen getting involved. It's, you know, it was hard for me to pick against them just logically uh, <laughs> going into this one, even though, as we saw, the route to a victory for Guelph wouldn't have been ridiculous, a few of those injuries aside. Um, but, you know, that's, this MAC, this MAC team is just so much fun to watch. 100%. Um, their, their defense was absolutely phenomenal. Um, two big interceptions. You know, obviously every interception is yep. a big interception. Um, they had a block kick. They were they were just flying all over the field. But I think the real game changer when it came down to it, because obviously Guelph's defense is good. Guelph also had a block kick. Um, Mac had a lot of... They had two missed field goals, I believe. Three missed field goals. Yeah, yeah. sorry. And I will say it for, for Prio Cannon that the weather was absolutely oh, trash. Oh, for sure. To begin the game, a lot of the balls were... You could tell they were waterlogged and the wind was everywhere. It sucks, but it's part of the game. I think the big difference changer was the quarterback situation. Um, on one hand, you have Theo Landers, who we talked about a couple weeks ago, trying to play hero ball potentially, and you could kind of see that coming into this game. Um, they were down by two scores. It was third and one. It looked like an option. He pulled it, decided to run it himself, stuffed on the goal line. Uh, a couple big interceptions there near the end. Where then on the other hand, you have Duick, who you know didn't spread the ball as much as usual, but still, mm-hmm. what, six receivers he threw to that's still phenomenal job he he marketed the game super well and then also his ability to run the ball i i watched it live and it was very funny i don't know if anyone if it was the same while you were watching on tv but Mm. he kind of dropped back he saw the hole he said do i go okay maybe i'll I'll go and then he's like okay i have three yards and you could see him kind of slow up a little bit he's like oh i can get the first down and then you could see him kind of slow up a little bit again he's like there's 40 more yards of open field and there is literally one receiver and one DB. He's like, I just got to beat one guy and, and eat less than if my guy blocks him. He yeah. kind of took off. Oh, and big shout out the, on the, the 55. Yeah. Fiverr. Yeah. And big shout out to Tommy Neald on that play, watching it on the film again later. I don't, I don't know who it was. He had uh, locked up from the Guelph secondary, but <sighs> buddy wasn't going anywhere fast. Holy. And, and there was a lot of that kind of open field, ability to run because it seemed that the the second touchdown who who came from Blake Reasons. Yeah. It was a little slip screen pass. Yeah, that was he nice. He was running and the Guelph guy had his back turned to him because it seemed the Guelph was playing a lot of man coverage that game. And I don't necessarily know why they were doing that, but a lot of the man coverage had them in positions where the defensive backs had their back to the play. Because right. the Blake not the Blake, the <laughs> the uh the McMaster receivers were just running them yeah. off so they were turned around. So instead of blocking, it was a no touch block where they have their make their back go to the play. Well, I wonder if schematically that has to do with AJ and his role and them able to uh, who were they able to rush and how they're able to get pressure because obviously he gets to the quarterback phenomenally, but you'd think that you know, oh, sorry, you only have Tavius Robinson, Elaine Simonkin to Greg Corfield to get after the quarterback. Like, so Joe so, Reinhardt. Joe Reinhardt. Yeah, so sorry. You need more than that. But obviously, this is, you know, this is a great McMaster team. And it shouldn't surprise anyone when they beat anyone in this league, uh, especially when they are at home. For Guelph, looking ahead, you know, it, it's, it's a tough year for them in terms of some of the veterans that they have on, on their roster. Uh, you know, looking at the fifth years, and especially tough for me because a lot of these guys are guys who you know I'm, I'm starting to now see all the guys, the little younglings that I uh, you know came into the program right as I was leaving, starting to graduate. So it's got me feeling real old and real real weird about it. But that's you know, that's all right. That's life. Uh, but Greg Corfield, fifth year defensive lineman for them. Uh, he's been a phenomenal player all his years. 
there holding it down in the middle. Eric Starcella, Ziggy, who you mentioned, obviously he spent training camp with the Argos last year at his normal tackle position. Obviously, you know, in a bit of a silver lining, definitely he, the injuries derailed his year and definitely he didn't want to be, if this year went as he would have wanted to, if he could have dreamed it up, he wouldn't have been playing center in a Yates Cup uh, semi-final matchup against Mac. But if anything, it's a little more tape to show the... the versatility. Yeah, his versatility for the next level. Joe Reinhart, who we mentioned, another fifth-year guy. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can fall in the shadows of his older brother, Jake, who is a long snapper and linebacker for Guelph, who we, I think I spent two years with before he ended up graduating. Job, of course, another linebacker, long snapper hybrid. We'll see if he gets looks. Obviously, he has the athleticism. Guys like Cade Bielek, uh wreck out of Saskatoon, a phenomenal, or pardon me, pardon me, Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, he's in his fifth year. Theo Landers, who we talked about, Akeem Knowles, defensive back. Uh, some of the fourth-year guys of note, you mentioned A.J. Allen with it being his draft year. Uh, Coulter Woodmansey, uh, who's been a stud for them in my books, 100% should be first-team uh, all-star for uh, the offensive line position. We'll definitely get some looks. Ben Petrie, who unfortunately saw his year derailed with injury. Don't know if he's getting any looks CFL-wise, but you know we'll see. Hopefully that he returns from whatever the injury was that uh, you know the Guelph players weren't allowed to divulge to us before the game. And for anyone curious, Ziggy did get back to me, uh, albeit after Dakota got the news on. I, I, uh, can look, we both got the scoop. I just got the fast scoop. You know? Yeah, yeah, you got that fast pass. But like I said, that ends the story of the 2019 Guelph Griffins. Incredible def. Oh, do you want? Yeah. Sorry, just no. just, just to hop in here. There are there are two things I just want to mention. Oh, for sure. Um. One is I got a chance to talk to some of the players I went to Valchu after the game, uh, but they did mention that you know that weird package they were running where it looked like everyone was in the backfield and they motioned out. Yeah, yeah. that was installed the week prior. That oh, wow. that package that they ran the entire game was installed the week prior, and I believe maybe they were trying to confuse the MAC defense into who's covering who. Right. But for me, I'm like, well, I don't know why you're still doing this three quarters in. It's obviously not working. You're not yeah. scoring off that point. Um, so that's just one point. My second point, um, you know, I'm very excited to see a player that I've coached, Justice Allen, third-year running back. Um, but I do have a message for him. been saying it all year. Stop, Stop hurdling hurling. people. <laughs> Stop hurdling people. That was – I don't know if anyone watched this game. It was like the second or third play. The guy is not even crouched over, and he just jumped. He doesn't even hurdle properly. He just jumps straight up and this hopes the guy goes knee. under. He just knees people in the face. It's like an Antonio Brown nonsense. And he's lucky the, the other defensive back threw him into the other bench and got a 15-yard oh, penalty. Stop hurdling people. You know, when I, was, when, so I was, dumb. when I was cutting up the film for that to put together the highlight video, and for any, if you've, you're hearing this just now, we're now starting to put together some highlight videos. We have our, our YouTube account uh, active with some of those. Uh, I remember watching that clip, and I was like, does this go in just for just the jokes of it? And I ended up passing on it. But, yeah, I, 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 I my first thought was of you, Dakota, in watching that I'm just I'm just worried for him because, like... <laughs> what are you say, teaching these kids? I are you teaching these well, I'm, kids? I tell kids to stay on the ground. Don't jump for a ball unless you have to. Don't try <laughs> to hurdle people. But also, that's because I can't hurdle people. If anyone that follows me on Instagram, if you dig deep enough, there is a video of me jumping over someone, but it's like a three-inch vertical over a hand. 
Just, <laughs> I can't hurdle someone, so maybe that's why I say don't do it. Don't oh, hurdle, don't boy. spin, don't risk your knees. Oh, boy. Well, hopefully he'll learn his lesson for the eights. No? All right. Well, we'll luckily, whether we see him hurdling or otherwise, we will get to see him in action in the eights cup along with his marauder brethren for the 2019 Guelph Griffins. This, of course, ends their campaign, a year that was marred with injuries on the offensive side of the ball, but a defense that was, in my book, second to none from the start of the season to the end. McMaster definitely had a little bit of, you know, a little something, something to say about that. But no doubt this Guelph team will be remembered for this great defense to all the graduating players. Best of luck moving forward. And we'll see how this team can retool and uh, grow off of a positive year in the the first year of the Ryan Sheehan, uh, well, hopefully dynasty in Guelph. With that being said, let's now take, uh, let's now advance into the Yates Cup preview. We got the Marauders. We got the Mustangs. It's going to be in London next weekend. And uh, sports. Sports. Welcome back to sports. Welcome back to sports. All right, so we have the rematch of the 2011. Don't want to Ye- talk about it. <laughs> Yates Cup with between the McMaster Marauders and your Western Mustangs. For those needing a little bit of a reminder, that was the upset or the ju- the uh, upstart McMaster Marauders taking out Western en route to what many people consider one of the greatest Canadian football games ever when they beat Laval in the Vanier Cup under the same coach they have now, Steph Potasic. So hoping to channel a little bit of that yeah, energy. When was the last time McMaster won the Yates Cup? I don't want to talk about that. When was the last time Guelph was in the Yates Cup? What oh. happened then? Oh, come, oh, boy. Yeah, this isn't going well. Uh, but we have a 2011 rematch. We also have a Week 3 rematch from this year when uh, Western and Mac met that game was in Ron Joyce. That was a 34-17 final in favor of Western. Definitely a little bit uh, <laughs> different from what we perhaps expected. But in that game, we you know we saw Andreas Duke just looking at some of the old stats, go off for 384 yards and two touchdowns in the game. Didn't get much production in the run game from either Lions or Allen or, for that matter, Duke himself. But... We've definitely seen both these teams evolve as the seasons move forward. Western into that playoff Mustang mode with their defense healthy, with Trey Humes running like a beast, with Merchant just being that MVP caliber quarterback that we've seen all year long feeding all his boys in the receiving core. Man, Dakota, I know that you are the Mustang in the room, but make the case for... McMaster taking this game. I mean, if I have to make the case, I'll make the case. <laughs> um, consistent defense. Yeah. Been consistent across the board, across the whole season, while Western, on the other hand, has had injuries here and there. Um, when they feed Justice Allen in the, in the backfield with those quick pitches, he's one of the best outside running backs, I'd say, in the league. He's not necessarily that great going in between the, the tackles, but... And then, obviously, Duke's ability to make plays. We talk about Chris Merchant all season being able to win games no matter what, whether that's him catching touchdowns, throwing touchdowns, running touchdowns. Uh, Duke's ability to throw and spread the ball out to all his receivers, all his running backs, um, really getting that chance to go through his progressions, not just the one-twos but the three-fours, uh, his ability to run the ball. I didn't mention it last game, but you know Guelph only had one sack against him, and there were many plays where he was 
running back 20 yards in the backfield looking like a little bit like a white Lamar Jackson um, <laughs> moving his feet keeping the play alive looking downfield the whole time as well you know even with his 55 yard run he's hesitant to run because he wants to make that play downfield so if we're if we're looking at a win obviously we've said that any team that beats Western has to be perfect because Western when they're good are amazing and if you're not perfect you're not going to beat them because they're the best three department team as in offense defense special teams um but consistent defense and Duke's ability to make plays, if they can come out of the gate hot, Western's always kind of a second-half team. They'll stand a chance. If they're slow to start, I don't see it. But to make the case, come out of the gate hot, yeah. solid first. So we'll say Western gets the ball first, solid two and out. Duke moves the ball downfield. And just getting that three points, if we can get Prio Cannon back on his game. Uh, weather's looking like it's going to be two degrees, mostly sunny. So nothing crazy out there. No, no rain just yet. But, you know, get three points on the board. Hell, get one point on the board. Get a touchdown on the board. And kind of put Western on their heels a little bit. Yeah. I, I definitely think for Mac, you have to get off to to a fast start. As you mentioned, Western normally does pick up a little bit in the second half. So you kind of have to hedge your bet a little bit. Give yourself a bit of a cushion. But I think this is also a team that, especially on the defensive side of the ball, talking about the Marauders, that is, that... As the game goes along and when we see games like they had against Guelph this past week where they're playing really well from the jump, they have a bit of a swagger that kind of just snowballs and the defense gets better and then the swag turns up a bit and then the defense feeds off that and it becomes this kind of you know self-feeding machine that just helps their defense get to the point like it did in that, in that Guelph game where they they looked like the best defense in, in, in the OUA and... You know, I part of me wonders if we, or de- definitely myself and some other people uh, out in the Twitterverse, were talking a lot all year about Guelph being the best defense. A lot of people, yourself, saying that Mac is definitely in the conversation, if not first themselves. Mac in that semifinal game definitely put their stomp or put their stamp on the game with their defense. With this game, you, are, you talked about Duick and the things that he can do uh, in the air and also with his legs. For our MVP picks. You obviously went with your boy Sakira, Sequera. I went with Merchant. I wonder if this is a if this is a, a moment for Duick. And obviously, if you need any extra motivation to to win these games or step up, yada yada yada, right? But to maybe have his moment to outduel Chris Merchant on the highest stage in London and the type of impact. I'm curious. I you know haven't met him personally. I don't think you you know him either. To be able to speak to his sort of, you know, the mental game and what sort of gets him up for certain games or, you know, everyone kind of has those deep things deep down where it's like, ah, you know what, I really want to, you know, get my revenge on this team or, oh, you know what, like going up against this guy, this, that, and the other thing. I'd be curious whether that's playing has a role in his mind at all as someone that didn't get much talk as maybe a dark horse MVP candidate because he's, you know, He's almost been, this team's almost been too consistent across the board for him to really garner that attention. But he's been phenomenal during the game on the TV on the TV broadcast, the McMaster Guelph game. They kept bringing up that he's you know top ranked amongst all quarterbacks nationwide in a variety of categories. You know if he's not, we talked about uh, Gerard being someone being slept on. That's perhaps on the micro scale level of things. Duick might be slept on in the macro scale. You know cross you sports 100 um you look at the game they played obviously it was week three things change 
Um, but then you look at Guelph and McMaster, some things don't change. A yeah. win's a win's a win's a win. <laughs> but this is a quarterback that threw almost 400 yards to 11 different receivers against Western's defense. So I don't expect much to change. The big thing that sticks out to me, if you you know rewind a little bit, Jordan Lyons, 29 yards on, on seven attempts, and Justice Allen, three attempts for seven yards. Yeah. That's kind of what we've been saying going into like the last two weeks, last three weeks of the football was saying, hey, McMaster has to find their run game. And then the next game, two running backs over 100 yards. The game after that, Duick with over 80 yards, Justice Allen with 93. So I think the big thing for McMaster is, look, their, their defense has been consistent. We've established that. Duick's been crazy hot and consistent. Sorry, it sounded like inconsistent. I meant and consistent. <laughs> but the thing that's really stuck with me for Macna is, is they've kind of found their run game. And it mm. doesn't necessarily look like that when, you know, they, they're running six yards, four yards. Like, there's no crazy 80-yard runs. But they're establishing the run game. And what a lot of people don't understand is, like, a team that establishes the run game well enough then opens up the options for the pass game. So with McMaster going to this game, obviously they have to be hot on, on in every department. But... If they can establish that run game early, again, not scoring touchdowns, but getting a couple first downs here and there with the run game, it's going to open up Duick to do what he does and throw to another 14 receivers. Like, hey, man, I'm open. I'll be in section K. Like, throw me the ball too. You know, that's that's going to be the big thing as well. But obviously, the factor is that we started this segment by saying, paint me a picture on how Mac wins, already has them coming in as the underdog against Western. Yeah, definitely. I, You know, you mentioned, this, you know, Western being, I forget how you said it, but across each segment of the game, offense, specials, and defense, that they really shine in all those categories, and that you kind of have to play a perfect game to be able to 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 catch them slipping. Uh, it's 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 weird. You know, we talked about we've talked about before that those those things that you can't really account for in betting on a game. But I don't think I don't think this game's completely a game that it's like the path to victory. And I don't think you were saying this either is reliant on like, well, shoot, we better hope for a fumble or like we got we have to score. Oh, you don't have to, to hope for one of their mistakes, but you can't be off your game. No, I, oh, okay, yeah, that that's for sure. I that's think saying, you have to play your perfect game. Yeah, Mac. I think Mac can beat them in a straight fight, but Mac can't be slipping. It's not one of those games that I think you at least are are hoping and needing to be like, all right, when's that moment? I'm saying that, you know, if if Western has one fumble, it's going to hurt them less than if McMaster has a fumble, that sort of thing. Like, I think, yes, they are close competitors. Obviously, the 1-2 team, that's always great to see in the finals. But McMaster does have to come out with a near-perfect game. A missed field goal is going to hurt them. A missed extra point is going to hurt them. A fumble at any point in the field is going to hurt them. A three and out as in they you know they go for it on a third and one is going to hurt them they have to be just perfect across the board you know perfect as in like maybe 98 percent perfect but mistakes are going to hurt western less than they're going to hurt mcmaster and that that goes for penalties too yeah and these are two of the most buttoned up teams in the league obviously when you look at just the matchup of the head coaches you would expect nothing less from a potassic from a marshall coach team but you know we, we, we've done a, a bit of talking there about it. Who, who are you taking in this one? Um, <laughs> Sorry for the pause. <laughs> Again, it, it's, it was always a pleasure to coach, coach Justice and Alan, and, and I hope that he wins the gates. I would love nothing more than for Western's reign to end with, with him winning. Oh, that would be nice. But with that being said, I just, I got to go with Western. Mm-hmm. 
not not even just because it's the alma mater there, but they've just been so consistent. Yes, there's been close games, but I have to go with Western. I don't want to say be happy if I be if I'm wrong because I'm gonna look like a like a purple dumbass at <laughs> at TD Stadium, but. I'm going to go with Western. It's going to be a great matchup. Hopefully, you know, I'm hoping for a great match. I'm not hoping for like a, a 62-13 win or anything like that. That, but that never happens. That never happens, especially yeah. not 82-3. Uh, was it 82-3? to three? That, was, that was against uh, Acadia or something like that. But no, I, I think Western's going to win. I think it's going to be a great game. I would be okay if, if McMaster won and I got to see... You know, a kid that I've coached and, and known for the last four years get his first Yates. It's a win-win for you. Yeah. Well, also I, I like OU football, but like I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those, you know, a kid I know wins. That's great. Western wins for the third year in a row. Yeah. I get to talk shit for a whole other year. So. Yeah. You know. Uh. For you know, for Western, I was kind of thinking about this earlier today when you look at and we were talking before we started recording about where this team's going to be moving forward they have a lot of veteran players and some key roles how this team's going to look significantly different moving forward and when you look at this this three-year run obviously it goes longer than three three uh, years but the you know two consecutive yates is leading into this one um you know the first one you obviously is phenomenal because you take out Laurier after they had defeated you and you'd suffered the two defeats in a row in the Yates Cup. Then you get the the shot at, at Guelph, who obviously took you out, uh, I guess, at that point two years ago. And, you know, so you get to put the beat down on them. And now for this, this third year now, and we haven't really seen, while we've kind of played around with the notion that maybe this team's come down to earth a little bit from just the powerhouse, the absolute monstrosity of a team that we have seen from them in, in the few years prior, but that they've they've stayed par for the course despite the incredible amount of success that they've had over the last you know two three years now and so I'm curious how they're gonna how they're approaching this game in terms of which championship is the most elusive is it that first one coming off those two losses is it the back-to-back or now going for the three-peat in that equation having said all that I'm still picking them in this one as you touched on in each phase of the game they're just so they're they're so darn good they're so buttoned up they don't get penalties they don't turn the ball over uh they handle you know you've seen two minute drills of this team where they are absolutely as good as it gets like this team does not get rattled if there were a team to rattle them maybe it is the likes of this McMaster defense I don't think they're gonna get rattled you know they're they're gonna stay composed but yeah rattled in the sense where they might be down by a couple points yeah uh but all that to say that yeah, I'm gonna go with with Western as well of course since we're making the drive to be there I'm hoping for a good game and if McMaster wins I certainly will not be upset in seeing that happen and, and like we said rematch from a few years back from my rookie here at Guelph it's Oh, once again, weird to think about it. I'm getting old. But yeah, so a lot of history with these two teams and just hoping for a great game. Was it 2012 that McMaster won? Your rookie year? No, 11. McMaster beat Western in 2011. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah in 2012, they beat us. Man, they just. 
Fuck you, McMaster. First you beat me in my in my freshman year, <laughs> then you beat Zach. Yeah, they're uh yeah, they're devastating. Um As we speak, I am purchasing our tickets. Um I don't know more Western ideas, so I'm not gonna get a discount, but <laughs> we are officially booking our tickets to the Eights Cup. Road trip, road trip, road trip. Woo! Rowing uh, for the boys. Uh but yeah, that I mean we've pretty much covered it all. I d I don't know if there was I don't think there was any major injuries for these teams from the the semifinal. Anything of note that I, I saw in that department. So nothing to report on there. Um, weather was looking pretty strong, or at least as good as you could hope for this time of year in London. Uh, those bleachers are going to be painful. I'm having some flashbacks of really last year. Have to book individual seats. I don't know if anyone knows this, but Western is just straight bleachers. So I'm going to sit where I want. <laughs> um, I guess. W- Whoa, we didn't do we do better from you? We'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. All right. But right now, my do better is picking a seat. We only need two tickets, right? Is your dad coming? Nah, just make it the deuce. Maybe it's two. Yeah, yeah, I'll just make it the deuce. If anyone wants to come, reach out to me right now, even though you're hearing this in the future and I've already got my tickets. Beautiful. Um, so I think we have a few mailbag questions. So I guess we'll make that the wrap for our preview of the Yates. We've said it all. Should be a great game. We'll be there. Come say what up. And uh, enjoy some great OUA football. With that being said, let's jump into the mailbag. Okay, we'll start off on the Twitter side of things. Uh, one of the uh, stalwart at the 55 listeners, Nick Oakley, sending us his thoughts saying, No Barney on the OUA rookie team. For those of you not familiar, that is the nickname for Clark Barnes. I know, so original. Uh, someone here came up with it. Uh, he says he doesn't like the idea of one rookie per, per team. It being like the NHL All-Star Game completely takes away from the credibility and honor of it. Nick Oakley questioning the honor of the all-rookie team. Dakota, where does your view stand on the honor? Of- my view stands at that this is my do-better of the week. Do-better. Yes! I love, you guys thought I was going to do it. I love putting OUA on blast for this. And this isn't against any of the players that were played well enough to make this OUA all-rookie squad. But it does have to go. I do agree with Nick here. It's that I don't think that, you know, one player per team should make the squad. If perhaps it works out that it way. It works yeah. out that way, then yes. But to say that Clark Barnes isn't an OUA all rookie is a little ridiculous. Um, you could just take his stats from the first three weeks and put it there. Yeah, he had, didn't do anything amazing. Mm. Over those last kind of things, but the same way that Clay Scarrett didn't do anything amazing over the last couple of weeks, you put it in comparison to what he did the first few weeks, it's not going to stick up. But if you average out his his yeah, stats a- and all, it's I don't see how he's not on the OUA All Rookie. I had him for OUA Rookie of the Year, and now he's not even on that that All Rookie squad. Yeah, yeah, and I'm assuming that they probably will pick the, the All the Rookie of the Year off that list, but maybe they'll do some. I mean, I don't know how you're Rookie of the Year and not an All Rookie. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. Well, you know, the, uh, the one thing I'll say about that w- was that upon seeing that list, I didn't realize that Justin Lauzon for Guelph was a rookie. Uh, and we talk about them being one of the best defenses in the province, perhaps even in the country. And he's been starting for the that Guelph defense at, I think, Will Linebacker almost the whole year. So that fact alone, and he does put up sa- uh, stats, and I think he had a pick six earlier in the year. Definitely does lend to to him being worthy of it himself, but 
in, in that situation, I would just say stick with the older model and you have both of them on the team. I'm, I'm trying to remember how they used to do it. I think it was just having an offensive defensive roster plus your kickers and and your rush punt cover whatever they call it and so i I definitely agree more with more with that model as you mentioned as we kind of joked that yeah sure if it works out that you get a representative from each team then by all means and you can even stick with having a representative from each team if you want to but at least spread it out over having or or combine it with the idea of having you know, five offensive linemen, four defensive linemen, two QB, however you want to do that, just so then you can still get the top players, regardless of, you know, if they have other strong players along with them in the fold too. Um, So definitely great question from Nick. Uh, I'd say, yeah, both of us onside with with his uh, take on on that. Okay, so now we're going to move over to Instagram. We got a couple here. Um, I'll give you the first one here. It just says Legio's leg. I know we already touched on this a little bit. For me, amazing kid has the OUA and almost the U Sports record for most points ever. Yeah, consistent as all heck. You know, I'll go off the board on this one. It just says leg. Doesn't specify. It probably means the right leg, but left leg for uh, Legio underrated as well. Yeah, if you don't have that left leg, you can't no, plant. You don't have and that get plant that leg. Kickoff. Yeah. You you honestly without that left leg, I w- some would argue that. The plant leg might be more important than the kick leg. It should really be Mark legs legio plural. Yeah, like let's 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 get off of this one leg. Hot thing. hot take: the stabilizing leg is more important than the kicking leg. Hot take: you can't kick with one leg. So let's move on to the next question. <laughs> uh, will you guys do all star slash all Canadian predictions? I think it could be interesting if we did it. Yeah. Uh, I here's no, my take on yeah. that. I would love to. Uh, twofold response on that. One, I don't know O line well enough. I just don't. Uh, it's something as a coach I want to learn better about. I just don't know it well enough. And Me I'm not, neither. I'm not. You were an O line. <laughs> <That's laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't want to go back through the film and watch the games for O line and pick it. Which turns into my second point. Unfortunately, I am a full time employee working eight to six. I try to go to the gym in the morning, and I'm also a full-time student with seven classes and a placement. I don't currently have the time to do this, which also goes into my third point. If you'd like to sponsor us so I could quit my job and Zach could quit his job, I would love that. But mainly the first two points. I don't have the time, and I don't know O-line. I do have my predictions you know, with receivers and quarterbacks yeah. and defense and running backs and all that stuff, but I want to be fair, so I'm not going to predict some and not the other ones. Dylan Giffen. I, I probably have the time and I should know O line, but I say if we go that route, we will probably outsource most of the knowledge to Eddie to get all that in because he still manages to watch film, more film than anyone playing or otherwise involved with the How? league. How? How does he? He's a robot. He's he's watched more film this year than I have in my entire career, and that might be a shot at myself. No, th- this no. man. Don't sell yourself short. He he watches not the games, not the games. <laughs> he gets the film, the the soundless film breakdown, the Greg Marshall fast forward rewind, fast forward rewind pause. It's your Sits fault. Sits in a dark room. Like I don't know how. Oh no, it's Brandon sitting in the dark room. <laughs> anyone, Bazinga, concussion joke. Sorry, Brandon, I love you. Anyone that's watched film knows what we're talking about. He watches that kind of film. It's crazy. What do we got next? Do we have anything next? We got two more. Okay. Two more. Uh, this one's more for me. Fuck you, Justice. 2011 Vanier. Hey, I love it, Justice. Let's talk about uh, it. Justice, I'm pretty sure you were six years old when this happened. 
Um, I don't actually care that much. <laughs> I was a freshman playing for the London Beefeaters, and it was McMaster beating the Western Mustangs in the Eights Cup. And I'm sure... Oh, he said 2011 Vanier. Sorry. Yeah. McMaster also won that. Well, you know what? Not to dive too, down the rabbit hole of this too, too much, but, you know... In in researching that game, or just trying to pull up some info on it, because I you know I can remember that Vanier Cup, uh, you know one of the best football games across any league I've ever watched, and of course Kyle Quinlan leading McMaster to to the championship. In the article I had pulled up from the Globe and Mail following that uh, that game, they had referenced the the bit of, bit of trouble that Quinlan had got into during that year and like I remember that was my freshman year at Guelph and hearing something about that and I think he might have got suspended for a game or two but all these years later I completely forgot about it but I still remember that game so fondly that McMaster team you forgot about like a big thing that happened a couple years ago well thank you for leading me to the point being that what was a big thing that happened this year or could have happened I almost forgot in a couple weeks, Laurie, you should have lost by 18 <laughs> points. No one would remember it. Oh boy, we'll never get off that one. No. All right, what are we? What was the last one we had? Uh, the last one here, and this is gonna test. And this is no offense to the guy. This is gonna test everyone's knowledge here. Just says Jordan Travis on Waterloo. <laughs> is this like the equivalent of M- TNT NBA when they like who he play for? Um, no, actually, so while we were looking through this, I say this for last just because I knew that none of us would know this. Jordan Travis uh, plays defensive back, first year, 5'11", 175, which probably means, Jordan, no offense to you, he's probably 5'9", 150. <laughs> if that's, if, well, we all know that the stats get boosted, all yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I was like 6'1", one year, and I'm 5'11", <laughs> so. Um, just looking looking at his stats, Jordan, I'm just going to give you the shout out here. Uh, last game of the season, um... Two rushing attempts for seven yards. Wait, what does he play again? Plays defensive back. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, his defensive stats here, recording three total tackles, one assist. I'm going to quickly go into the playoff stats just to see if there's anything that I'm missing that should be the big story here. Yeah, so I think whoever posted this obviously just wanted Jordan Travis to be mentioned here. Unless this is the wrong Jordan Travis, but it's the only Jordan Travis defender on Waterloo. You know, hoping for, for big things for you next year. DB that can run the ball a little bit. Who knows what's going to happen. Not really a question, but it is something they want us to talk about. Really test our knowledge here. Shout out to Google for getting me all my answers really quickly. No doubt. That wraps up the mailbag, I believe. It does indeed. Excellent. Well, that wraps it up for here this week. We've made it all the way to the pinnacle of OUA football action. It is the Yates Cup. It seems like just yesterday... We were talking about week one. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. We did get one last question here. Oh, boy. Um, It's directed at you. Oh. It says, will you bring your ring to the Yates Cup game? (laughs) Well, it's not even in the game. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, shout out to Zach winning the Yates Cup. Well-deserved a couple years ago. Um, For some reason, Guelph decided to make rings. Well, we were sponsored by Big Baller Brand that year, so we just had to follow suit. <laughs> it's been an ongoing joke for, I believe, two years now with Eddie starting it yeah. last year. Um, I mean, you guys can keep joking about it. I still have this ring worth, like, a couple grand, though. Couple- it has, I got to show it to you. I'll, if, if I don't bring it to the, the Yates, which, spoiler alert, I'm not going to bring it to the Yates. I'll bring it by the, the studio next week. If you bring, if you bring your, your well-deserved, hilariously purchased ring to the game, I will bring my not-at-all-deserved practice squad OUA medal for the Yates in 
13, 2011? Oh, no, no, not wouldn't have been 2011. No, it wouldn't have been. But the last time that Guelph was in the Ace <laughs> Cup, how'd that go for you? We're going to stop talking shit. I'll let Zach wrap up the episode. All right, that'll wrap it up for us. You can find us at the Yates at TD Place. TD Stadium, whatever they call it, in London this Saturday, 1 o'clock. No conflicts because it's the only game on the schedule. It is the Yates Cup Championship game. Will Western get the three-peat? Will Mac be back on top of the hill? We'll have to find out this Saturday, and we'll be here talking about it next week at the 55.